Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. It would seem that pluralism in our culture is breaking down. We are all struggling to love and live and accept one another across all sorts of divides. And we're not alone in this. This is not even just an America problem. This is a problem across the world in this cultural moment. Uh, One of the ways you can see this is Amnesty International, uh, the nonprofit organization, hosts a lecture each year. And that lecture um, is done in honor of, and I'm sorry that I could not find a good pronunciation guide to this name, but Yap Tayam Hain. Um, He was an Indonesian lawyer of Chinese descent who spent his entire life fighting for the rights of majorities, or I'm sorry, minorities in majority cultures. And so in his honor, each year, Amnesty International puts on a lecture series. In 2017, this was given by a professor of law at Berkeley Law School. Uh, His name's Eric Stover. And I want you to listen to this quote from him. Identity-based conflict has been with us since the beginning of time. But in the past year, we have seen poisonous narratives of us versus them surge across the world. Leaders have peddled a toxic rhetoric, blaming whole groups for social and economic grievances of the population that was given in 2017. And if you and I were to think back across the last six years about whether this has gotten better for us as a world or whether this has gotten worse, I think the answer is uncomfortably obvious. Whether you call it grievance, politics, or just divisiveness, it has been harder and harder to get along with one another. And this has made it tricky for us as Christians. It's made it tricky to live out our Christian faith. Uh, Pastor Mark Sayers was commenting on this, and he observed this, that 40 years ago, if a Christian and an atheist lived next door to one another, the atheist would often assume that the Christian was more moral, was at least a moral person who was doing the right thing. But now, if we were to look at that same scenario, the situation has changed. The atheist will more typically assume that a Christian is less moral because of their stances on cultural issues. We've gone from a place where being a Christian carried a bit of weight, a bit of respectability, to a place where it creates a possibility of suspicion. In the immortal words of Bob Dylan, the times, they are a-changing. And navigating whatever comes next in our cultural moment, wherever our whole world is going, is going to take thoughtfulness and faithfulness that the church has not had to engage in in Western culture in a very long time. This morning, we're going to look at the letter to the church in Smyrna. And the church in Smyrna was facing the reality of persecution and economic pressures because of their faith in Jesus. 
And I want to be clear from the start that anything that we experience in the present, and maybe even a lot of what is to come, is not the same thing as real persecution. To think that it is, is to uh, do a disservice to our brothers and sisters in Christ in places like China, Southeast Asia, and Saharan Africa. We do not want to minimalize or trivialize the real persecution that our brothers and sisters in the church are going through right now. But at the same time, this text is meant for us. I want us to be able to see ourselves and the call to faithfulness in a time of immense pressure to submit to the culture around us. As Christians, our calling naturally sets us on a different path than many of our neighbors. The future is always uncertain, no matter what we live in, and the pressures that we face to conform are always a temptation that we're going to have. But, church, we serve a risen Lord. Jesus was dead and is now alive. And so his call to us, his call to us to be faithful is evergreen. And so if you are able, I would invite you to stand with me as I read the letter to the church in Smyrna from Revelation 2. The words will be on the screen behind me if you'd like to follow along as I read. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander that those who say that they are Jews and are not, but a synagogue of Satan, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. City Church is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. Each of these letters begins with a description of Jesus that, as we saw last week, is borrowed from the vision that John had in chapter 1. And it's targeted specifically to what each one of these seven churches throughout what we now call Turkey, Asia Minor, needed to hear. For Smyrna, they needed to hear that Jesus was the first and the last, the one who was dead and now lives. Now, if you've been in church for If you've been a Christian for a long time, it's easy for these words to just sort of bounce off of us, just sort of come in one ear and out the other because, yeah, yeah, I know Jesus was first and last. Like, I even know that that's that's Alpha and Omega. I, I know Greek letters, so, you know. And he rose from the dead. Yeah, we do the Easter service every year, man. Like, we get it. But when you really think about it, think about what this would have meant for this church in Smyrna. Because for them to hear this, they are facing an incredible uphill battle. Because the city of Smyrna was the most loyal city in all of Asia Minor to the Roman Empire. The the city as a whole, their, their identity was based on their allegiance to Rome. When Rome first started to become a world power, Smyrna jumped the gun. Before Rome had even conquered Greece, Smyrna said, oh, oh, we're totally on board with the Roman Empire. Uh, If you ever need a place to keep your ships, 
This is a good one. Uh, If you ever need any help, come to us. Smyrna declared for the Roman Empire before they even conquered Greece. They welcomed Rome with open arms. And because of that, Rome gave them a ton of gifts. First of all, it was the first place where a temple to Augustus Caesar as Lord was built outside of the city of Rome. And not only that, Rome gave citizenship to many of the residents of Smyrna. And Rome decided that since they were so kind and opening up their port to them, so kind and jumping the gun and declaring for them, that they would fortify the city. And so they built battlements and they built a giant sort of castle wall around the top of the mountain next to Smyrna. In so many ways, Smyrna was more like a suburb of Rome itself than a city in Asia Minor. And because of that, some of the earliest Christian persecution was there in Smyrna. One of the first accounts we have of a martyr outside of the pages of the Bible was the martyr of a man named Polycarp, who was the bishop of Smyrna. And Polycarp was discipled himself by the Apostle John. The writer of the book of Revelation discipled Polycarp, also probably baptized, baptized him as an infant. That's a freebie. That's not what the sermon's about, but just a thing that's preserved from the year 150. Don't worry about it. But just one generation after this book was written, this letter was written, Polycarp was burned at the stake in Smyrna. And so this church is facing a hostile environment. The church is facing a ton of things. And Jesus reminds them that he is the first and the last. He is the creator of all things, and he holds all things together in his hand. Not even death can contain his glory and power. Jesus wants the Smyrna church to know that despite everything that they have gone through and everything that they will go through, none of it is out of his control. This church that has been persecuted, that will be persecuted, Jesus says, I am in control. And not only that, he has experienced all that they have gone through. He understands unjust imprisonment. He understands death for something that he didn't deserve. If anybody understands that, it is Jesus himself. And so the first and the last, the one who is risen from the dead, speaks to the church at Smyrna. And his tone from the very beginning is different than what we heard about last week in Ephesus. Last week in Ephesus, Jesus' message to them was a mixed bag. Here's some good, here's some bad. Here's some things you got going on. Here's some things you need to work on. But here, it looks a little bit different. He begins by telling them he knows their suffering. And many of the other seven letters, he says, I know your works. I know what you are doing. But that's not the case with the church at Smyrna. With the church at Smyrna, he says, I know the trials that you are going through. I know how hard it is. He saw and heard their cries. And the same thing is true of us today. The same thing was true of the people of Israel as they were enslaved in Egypt. When Jesus said to them, I see you and I hear you. When God said to Hagar, as she was by herself with her young son by a well in the middle of the desert, I see you, I hear you. 
Jesus to the church at Smyrna, I see you and I hear you. Beloved City Church, Jesus to you this morning, I see you. I hear you. He knows your pain. In fact, the word tribulation that he uses here, that, that's been hijacked um, in our sort of uh, evangelical lexicon by people who are obsessed with the end of the world. But the tribulation that he's talking about is not some period of time. He's talking about the inward anxiety that overtakes us when everything in the world outside of us is going haywire. You know that anxiety? what you feel on the inside when everything on the outside is going wild. Jesus says that, that thing that no one else can see, that turmoil inside your soul, I see that and I know that and I hear that. And in the case of the Smyrnans, he even goes deeper and says that he knows their particular struggles, the things that they were going through. And he says, I know that you are dealing with poverty and slander, but these things for them were particularly bad because they were in this city of Smyrna, because of how loyal Smyrna was to Rome. Because of this city's love of Rome, all of the trade guilds that operated in town were also the cults of certain gods. So if you were a shopkeeper, it would be expected that you would be a part of the shopkeeper's guild. And it just so happens that Mercury is not only the god of little winged boots um, and dunking basketballs, but also the god of shopkeepers. And so you would have to, as part of your membership of the guild of shopkeepers, make sacrifices to Mercury, it would almost be like if our unions today decided that to be a part of a union, you also had to join a certain denomination of church. That's kind of what was happening in the world of Smyrna, except it wasn't just a particular denomination. It was the idolatry that was required to be a part of these guilds. And so you can see how this might create a problem for Smyrna Christians. I struggled all week, by the way, with Smyrnan or Smyrnian um, I don't think there's a really great option either way. Um, so I'm going to go with Smyrnan, and we'll just sort of all track from there. But, but this created a problem for these Christians. If they refused to acknowledge and pay homage to any particular god, they were kicked out of their economic unions. Their Christian faith was literally costing their bottom line. And yet, they faithfully followed Jesus and refuse to submit to the idolatry, which is why Jesus says they are rich despite the fact that they are living in poverty. But beyond that, they were slandered by the Jewish citizens of Smyrna. Uh, the Roman policy was to allow Jews to exist because for, for all the Roman, for all the Mediterranean world, the idea of monotheism was wild. It was absolutely stunning. Now, this is strange for us because three of the largest faiths in the world that we inhabit are monotheistic religions. But in the ancient Roman world, in the Mediterranean, that wasn't the case. In fact, the Jews were pretty much the only monotheists, the only people who believed that there was one God. And so the Romans just sort of said, okay, that's weird, but you guys can keep doing that. You're allowed wherever you're at to keep believing in that there's just one God, we guess. And in many places, that same courtesy was extended to churches because the Romans uh, couldn't quite figure out what the difference between a Christian and a Jew was. 
Uh, they couldn't quite sort of, the early church and the Jewish communities, they were like, I don't, same? I don't know. And so it was fine. They, the Christians got to uh, receive this legal protection unless, unless the Jews complained about it. The local Jewish citizens complained about it. And that seems to be exactly what's happened here in Smyrna. The Jews have slandered the church to the point where the empire has now turned against them. And John, uh, writing the words of Jesus, calls uh, the local Jewish citizens the synagogue of Satan. Now, that can be pretty harsh on our ears uh, because it can easily sound like that is an anti-Semitic statement. And it's not shocking that various anti-Semitic uh, groups throughout history have used this verse to sort of prop up their sort of fake and harmful beliefs. But let's just stop and think about this for a second. Jesus, the person who is writing this letter, was himself Jewish. John, the person who is transcribing this letter for Jesus and sending it to the church at Smyrna, was himself also a Jew. I mean, if you look at the characters in the story, it sounds a little bit like the Hanukkah song. Jesus, also a Jew. John, you guys know the Hanukkah? Adam said, no, you know what? Never mind. Wow. You know, a few weeks ago, Connor asked me what Saturday Night Live was. And I was like, well, was this thing that used to be funny and is like awful now? But then I realized that that was the same thing that my father told me 25 years ago. Anyway, this language can shock us for a second, but we need to think back to something else that John has written, something else that Jesus has said. In John chapter 8, the Pharisees are actively promoting that Jesus is lying. And what does Jesus say to these Pharisees, to these people that are attacking him? He says that they are not children of Abraham, but they are of their father, the devil. It's a very similar phrase as what John records here. Jesus isn't making a point in either of these cases about race. He's talking about religion. He's talking about making a religious distinction. The true people of God are not ethnic Israel. The true marker of faith isn't circumcision. True faith is to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the only begotten Son of God. And no matter what your ethnic or religious background is, if you trust in him, you are a true citizen of heaven, a true son of Abraham. But what the, what the Christians in Smyrna were experiencing was not only the economic pressure that came from the fact that they would not sacrifice to the idols of their trade guilds, but that was also that the local Jewish synagogue was narking them out to the Roman Empire. And this whole situation was not pretty, and it wasn't going to get better anytime soon. Jesus has no critique for the church at Smyrna. He doesn't give them a list of things to improve. He doesn't sort of tell them all of the things that they need to do. Instead, he tries to encourage them in the face of their coming trials. He tells them not to fear the suffering that is certainly coming to them. I mentioned Polycarp's martyrdom a bit earlier. This is how bad it got between the Jews and the Christians of the city. When Polycarp is martyred, we have from the sort of account of it that it happened on the Sabbath and that the Jews actively broke the Sabbath to gather the wood to put on the pyre of Polycarp. 
This is how strained these relationships had become. This is how strong this hatred had become. And things are going to get worse from the Romans as well. In the early church, the people in Smyrna were the targets of two of the most common charges against Christians in the Roman Empire in the first days of it. They were charged with cannibalism and atheism, which is a pretty strange thing to charge the church with. But when you think about it, they were charged with atheism because they refused to follow and serve and sacrifice to the Roman gods. You won't sacrifice to Jupiter? Wait, you're telling me that you think Jupiter is just fake and made up and only your God is real? Yeah, that's atheism. You won't say Caesar is Lord? Oh, that's going to be a problem. In fact, that was what got Polycarp killed. He refused to say that Caesar was Lord. And so they would charge them with atheism for not believing that the emperors were God. But what about the cannibalism thing? That's, that's a little bit of a weird flex. That's a little bit of a weird thing. But think about it to these polytheistic, these people who believed in all sorts of gods and all sorts of rituals that the Christians got together every week and they worshiped and they sang songs and they heard preaching and they confessed their faith and then they stood around a table and ate somebody's flesh and drank somebody's blood. They could not make sense out of communion. The early Roman Empire could not understand what communion was and so they just assumed that it was weird cannibalism. And this sounds wild and crazy to our minds, in part because even those of us who have not been in church for a long time sort of understand the concept of communion. Like no, nobody's going to come in and like try to rat us out to AMC and be like, hey, I think that they're doing cannibalism in there. Like not a problem for us. But why was this sort of crazy thing happening? Well, John tells us that in the final analysis, this wasn't the work of the citizens or even the Roman Empire. This is the work of the devil. Satan is the accuser of the brothers and sisters. The Smyrnans were going to be tested for a limited amount of time by the accusations of Satan. That's why Jesus says it's going to be for 10 days. The book of Revelation is full of a lot of numbers that are used metaphorically. I'm not going to go into all of those details, but what is meant here is not that the Smyrnans are about to have a bad week and a half. That is not at all what Jesus intends for them to hear. Rather, the hardships that they are going to face aren't going to be forever. They're going to be tested for a limited amount of time. But in that time, they're going to be pushed to their limits. And so Jesus gives the worn down church at Smyrna an extra bit of encouragement. If they faithfully persevere, they will receive the crown of life. And because of what Jesus has already done, they don't have to fear the second death. And this crown of life was significant to Smyrna because it was a local athletics haven, right? We all know, you know, sort of these cities that are great cities for sports, cities, cities like Columbus, Ohio, St. Petersburg, Florida, home of the 18 and three Rays. That's my one a month. 
Baseball allotment check. Yeah, it was a city that had a huge stadium that hosted Olympic games. And when he says he's going to give them the crown of life, he's not saying that he's going to give them a kingly crown. It's not this gold and silver crown that the king would wear. Rather, what he is going to give them is the leafy crown of a victor. Whenever you see those sort of old bust of Greek and Roman emperors, and they're wearing sort of the leafy green crown, that's the victor's crown. That's what you got for winning the Olympic races. And that's what is promised to the people from Jesus. But it's not just that. When the Romans came in and built up the fortified land, what they built was a ring of castles and walls around the top of the mountain. So Smyrna sat in between a bay where their port was and a mountain behind them. And so anywhere you were in the city, if you looked up to the mountain that towered over your city, there was a ring around it that was called the crown of Smyrna. And this ring was a place where no matter where you are, you knew that if things went bad in Smyrna, if the Greeks decided that they were going to conquer the Romans or whoever else shows up as Smyrnans, you could run up to the mountain and be safe inside that crown, no matter where you are. Beloved, this is what Jesus is for us. We can look to him. And when we look to him, we can see our deliverance and rescue. Whatever trials you might be going through, whatever that anxiety inside of us that's caused by those things outside of us that you are going through, right now, Jesus is with you. Today, right now. He was dead and lives again. And not only is he right now alive, but the Bible tells us right now what Jesus is doing for you and me. You know what Jesus is doing right now? for you and for me, Jesus is sitting right next to the Father praying for you, knowing full well what hardships and trials you were enduring, knowing full well whatever is happening in your life, he is praying for you at this very moment. He sees you and knows you. Nothing that happens in your life can catch him off guard. Nothing that comes into your life surprises Jesus. Now, listen, I have no idea where our culture or where our world is headed. I have no idea if artificial intelligence is going to go full Terminator. But here's what I do know. Here's what I'm banking on. I'm banking everything on Jesus as Lord. He is the first and the last, the creator and sustainer of all things. And so I'm putting my chips on that. I'm trusting in him that no matter what adversity and affliction comes our way, his resurrection ensures that I won't taste the second death. Beloved, will you join me in that? Will you join me in leaning wholly on him? Let's walk together as a community, refusing to submit to idols and empires, choosing instead to faithfully live out the fruit of the spirit to our neighbors around us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Let's live those things out as we follow Jesus and let him sort out the rest. Let's pray.